0: Hey, I'm Matt Hutchinson. He's Dave Mulvaney, and this is Profitability MD. Dave, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Matt. How about you? I am good. Episode 162, uh, invest in real estate with little or no money down. So you and I talk about real estate. We really never had that as a discussion here. That's one of our pillars, usually pillar number two, right? The own a business, excess cash flow by revenue producing real estate, usually your office or some other sort of rental property. Uh, use your business to generate pillar number three, which was your uh, retirement plan. And then number four, your wealth accumulation, which you could use to buy other real estate, by the way. Um, So, but we never really had one just on real estate. So you were, you and I were chatting offline and, and there are all kinds of ways that you can buy real estate with little or no money down. So let's just have a
1: conversation and see where that goes. Yeah. So this actually came up in in a conversation this past week um, with a friend of mine who actually does have some money. And he's like, How could I maximize that? I said, well, I wouldn't take all that money and put it all in one piece of real estate. I would actually take that money and divide it up into a lot of pieces and buy quite a bit more real estate and use leverage. So, um, you know, it's not just how to buy real estate with little or no money. I I think the first thing, the disclaimers, we're not giving investing advice. Um, But the next thing I would say is, it takes money to buy real estate, but it doesn't have to be your money. Um, real estate is about control. And this is I think this is the first thing that people need to get their head around is that um, no matter what, in almost all 50 states in the United States and most places around the world, you never really own real estate, you control it. But if you don't pay your property taxes, you no longer will have have control of that real estate, someone else will then control your real estate. So, so the, the 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 first way to, to buy real estate with little or no money is a con- the conventional mortgage. There's FHA and there's, um, so if you, know, if you have good credit, a 650 credit score, actually FHA is a 580 credit score. If you have 10% down, you can qualify for an FHA mortgage provided you have a regular job. That's a pretty low down payment. So yeah. might, I mean, just that alone, I would consider little or no money. That's a conventional way to buy property. If you have a 650 credit score, you can purchase an FHA property with 3% down. So if you have fairly in a 650 score, is just, I think that's not even good credit. I think that's okay. Okay. So, so that's number one. I would say that's a number one way, but now we're talking about investment real estate now. So in order to accomplish that, you would want to buy a duplex, triplex, fourplex, and you would live in one unit. Then you could get the FHA loan because that is for your own house. Okay. Um, So um, one of the ways that contractors buy investment real estates is credit lines, right? So they're not using their own money to buy that. So again, they're using credit lines. Um, I can honestly say that I have used credit cards um, before the cash on credit cards for the down payment. So I could buy real estate. I've done that in the past. I don't recommend it, (laughs) but it can be done if you got good credit. Um, but that is a way to do it. You know, if you have good credit, the whole world opens up. So I I think the first thing to say would be start with good credit, right? If you don't have good credit, get your credit in line.
0: Right, 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 right. Exactly. Right.
1: Because, uh, the, the reality of the credit is the whole money system evolves around credit. And if you don't have good credit, what you're really saying is I don't do what I say I'm going to do. Good
0: way to look at it. Right. You didn't, you missed a payment. You didn't do what you said you were going to do.
1: You missed a payment. You're late on payments. You no certainly um, you could have medical bills or other things that can affect your credit. So um, another, another way to buy real estate with out money, and I'm I'm not getting into the the creative financing yet. I'm just talking about, yeah. let's say you um you find a, a really good deal on a piece of property. I just found one. I got put one under contract this week. Oh, um, good. In all, in all cash, um deal, but um but let's say I didn't have the ability to get that down payment. I might go to a friend and say, Hey, look, I've got a I find a partner.
0: Yeah, find a A, a, yeah. it's find called a, joint,
1: a joint venture the key yeah. to a joint venture to make it legal. Okay. So you're not soliciting a, a fundraising is yeah. that partner has to be in order for it under the securities exchange commission rules in order for it to be an actual joint venture is that person has to bring some kind of value that could be just counting the receipts doing the account. You know, that could be that simple, but they have to bring some kind of value for it to be a joint venture. So they bring some money, you bring the deal, you could split the profits, you can do 60, 40, whatever you want to do, but a joint joint ventures are probably um, the most forgotten way for people to buy real estate. It, um, you know, of course, on almost all of these, there's always a mortgage component. So when you bring a joint venture partner, the joint venture partner brings the down payment, then you go get a mortgage or you use hard money. It all depends on what your plan is to do with the property. Um, I have,
0: uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so I have a great example of this. This happened uh, one of my clients did this exact thing. So he owned a rental property and already owned the rental property outright. And um, a friend of his who's whatever architect, I think, or something to that. He doesn't have money, got divorced, yada, yada, yada. They teamed up, partnered joint venture, where they uh, the architect did the designs to refinish or rebuild or add a second story to the rental property. Uh, So one guy's providing the rental property plus the money for construction. The other guy, the architect is doing the plans for the construction and being the contractor, let's call it right because he had contacts so he could be the contractor, then he rented the property for a year or two years and then they had an option to sell at the end of two years. And the architect could buy it at market rates, go refinance it, and they'll count, you know better than that. They count the rent as some sort of payments, or they'll sell it and split the profit. So that was, he found, so I'm telling you from my, my guy was the guy that owned the house, but you could have been the architect and said, well, let me go find a guy with a rental property, and I'm going to go fix it up for him, and then I'll rent it from him, and then we can sell it. Or just go outright and sell it. I'll, I'll fix that, it up and sell it.
1: That fall, falls under two of my notes, which is okay. uh work for the down payment, right? So that's what there he did. He took his skills, he said, look, I can bring this, it's a perfect joint venture. I'm an architect, and I'm the I can be the general contractor. Yep. Um, or exchange something of value. Uh, architecture is very expensive. I mean, to get an architect, um, we had a we had a structural uh beam uh, on mm-hmm. one property that we we want to remove some walls, open up a place, mm-hmm. and uh I think the we had an architect and then we had a structural engineer. Just those two combined was about, I want to say 4,500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's exchanging something of value if you, you hit, you brought them into that deal. Um, well, that's what you did with your first deal. You
0: were telling us before, tell us that story again.
1: So well, the first uh, uh, piece of property I ever bought was a duplex. Yeah. Um, that was, is a disaster. Um, but they were asking almost 90,000. I actually got it under contract for, uh, 39.5. But I didn't have all the down payment money at the time. But because I was going FHA loan, um, I, I needed three to a half percent down, but the property needed enough work to, qual- to get FHA to approve the loan. That work had to be done before closing. So the risk was I was able to go in and do that work. The risk was if I didn't get the loan, all my work, all that money was going to be gone. But at yeah. closing, I was able to uh, the lady, I think her name was Mary, and it does matter, anyways, Mary something or another many years ago that's 30 years ago, but um, she uh credited that to me. So, not only did I pay 39.5 from an eighty thousand dollar sale, um, and ninety thousand dollar sale, but I got even all my work taken off, and so um, all I got that property for was 500 dollars out of pocket, the rest was work I worked off. It was that's great, awesome, yeah. And so, that's a perfect example of being creative. Now, mind you, I bought a dump. It was rat infested dump. Um, (laughs) When I got done with it, it was a very profitable way to live. So, you know, real estate is about solving somebody else's problem. Everybody's got problems. The place that I just got under contract, her mom died. She's had the property for six months. She's tired of paying the air conditioning bill, paying the taxes, paying the insurance on a vacant house. And all the real estate agents are saying, well, you got to do this. If you're going to sell it, you got to do this, this. And she's been trying to work on it for six months. And she's, you know, she's 70, 65, maybe she's probably yeah. about 65. And she's, she just doesn't want to do it. I said, just stop doing it. Let me pay, pay you cash. And you walk away. And she's like, you do, you don't have to do any more. No more. I said, whatever you do though, just empty the fridge out, just throw it in the garbage can, take it out to the curb. So anyway. Um, uh, oh. So, um, Another way is to borrow from your retirement fund. Yep. Uh, if you have, don't take money out of your retirement funds, borrow from it. Uh, most retirement funds are set up so you can take a certain amount of money, um, and then the interest. A portion of that interest, Matt, you may be able to answer this question. A portion of that interest goes back to you, right, to your account, and a portion of it goes to whoever you're borrowing from, right? Principal or right, right. But, So you're technically paying interest to yourself when you borrow from your 401k. Is that correct? Or is that not accurate?
0: Yeah, I mean, close enough. Yeah. You're borrowing money from 401k and you're paying it back. And
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing you, but it's there. It's it's there. It's an option. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't, it doesn't count. Like it, it, when you go to get a mortgage, the bank doesn't look at that and say, oh, that's borrowed money. It's your money. So you have the right to borrow it. Um, Another thing is, if you have a home, borrow equity from your home. Um, yeah, home I've, equity line of credit. I always
0: tell my clients to get a home equity line of credit just in case you need the cash. You'll always have access to that cash. You can use that cash as a down payment. You're right on another piece of real estate.
1: Yeah. And um, and yeah, it, that's a perfect way to, to get a home equity line of credit. But think of anytime you're buying real estate, I said it's about control. And this is where I'm going to get into some creative uh, financing. because. Um, So in, from 2009 through really 2018, 19, um, there was a lot of people that had bought in 05, 06, 07. And they were, they got in financial trouble where they were upside down in their house. Right. Um, And it's amazing that, okay, you could buy something in 2007 and that the value of the house, what you owed, didn't come back until 20, 10 years later, it took 10 years for those people to not be upside down. Now, if that happens and you stay in the house, it doesn't matter. Right. The only time that matters is when they have to sell, they get it transferred for work, they lose a job. Those people are over in a bad position. I don't wanna say over a barrel, but they're in a bad position. The way you can solve their problem is you can take over their payments. And there are ways to do this. Now, I'm not going to make legal advice, but there are things called options. Um, You can have an option to purchase. You can put in what's called a contract for deed, which depends on the state you're in. In Georgia, you can do a contract for deed. In Florida, you can't. In Texas, you can. There are different rules for different states. But what is an option? An option uh, allows you to agree to a price that you're going to pay the seller. Now, There's this philosophy that says if I buy a property, no money down, the seller doesn't get any money. That's not true. You can agree to a price that is above what the seller owes, but the seller doesn't get that money until you exercise the option. Which, what does it mean to exercise the option? I buy the house or I resell the property at a price higher than my option price. But during the period of this option, I have a lease so I control that property. Then I can right. re-rent that property for positive cash flow. You can do do what I do is I do rent-to-owns with that, but you're controlling the property with the option to buy it. It also gives you the option to sell it. Um, real estate agents have a problem with the option to sell it. Like Mentally, they can't grasp it, but you do have the right. There are some legal things. Here. There's another, another aspect that I believe it's about 44% of all property in the United States is owned free and clear. Okay. Um, most of that free and clear is investment property. I will say that there's a lot of single family homes that people live in that they own, but much of the other property that's owned free and clear is investment property. You've got a 60 year old person who's been buying investment property for the last 30 years, using their profits to pay things off. Now they live with all this cash flow. Now they're getting in their late sixties. They don't want to fix toilets anymore. They're like, I want of this. A lot of times they're so addicted to that income. If you come to them with a little down payment, oh, I don't have the down payment. Well, um, sometimes you come to them with a little down payment. You might have to do a joint venture. They'll finance it to you. And so they'll be the bank. Yeah, seller financing. Seller financing prior to about 1966, Seller financing, unless you had fifty percent down, was the only way that people sold property. There was no there was no mortgages in nineteen sixty six unless you were wealthy or before nineteen sixty six. Because I mean, I shouldn't say there was no mortgages, but for the most part, people would buy a ten thousand dollar house and they would put five thousand dollars down. Then the bank would give them a loan. Right, right. You got half the money, okay. But if you didn't have half the money. Um, banks were not in the business of loaning, mortgage lending changed over time. So um, am I I covering? No, no, you're good. I just came to me. So we watch home and garden HGTV
0: all the time on my cable. And so there are two, two sisters. I don't know, maybe they're in uh, Oregon or Seattle, Washington or something like that. They're doing real estate where you're trying to sell your house and you can't sell it the sisters will come in there and renovate your house and then split the profit yep. over, over a set. You know, you're trying to sell your house for 300, uh, you can't sell it. Well, we're gonna come in there and we're gonna do some renovations or we're gonna sell it for 375 and it's gonna cost us 20 grand to renovate. we're gonna split that difference from 320 to 375. So they're getting down with little or no money down, right? Because their labor is the is the money. Plus they're buying the materials, yeah. right? They'll go in there. and Hey, just almost like you said with that old lady, it'd be like uh, the lady you just bought the house from. They would go into her and say, hey, you're trying to sell it. You can't sell it. Let us come in there. We'll do the renovations for you. We'll pay for those renovations. And then we'll have some sort of profit sharing over some dollar amount. Because I think once it's renovated, we could sell it for more money than you're trying to sell it for right now.
1: I, hate, anyway. I call that a modified joint venture. Okay, good. All right. Oh. So, how do the sisters protect their interest? They um, they likely put an option on the property, and then they have a a a separate agreement uh, that's a joint venture agreement that says whatever the profit is in this deal, we split it above the option price. So, why you have to put an option there is because let's say I'm going to invest twenty five thousand dollars in your house. I got to protect my interest too. I got to then control the property so that I can sell it. You have to give me the right to sell this property. So by the way, phenomenal way to solve a seller's problem. Sellers get in problems. This happens all the time. I don't have the money. Yes. And, and if you find this house and you're like, wait a second, this house, the house you have could sell for 400,000. If we, instead of like 300, all yeah. you need to do is put 20,000 in but I don't have 20,000. Great. Let me put the 20,000 in and we can, we can split that 80,000 upside. Yes, so,
0: that's exactly what these ladies are doing. Yes. yes.
1: So, um, that modified joint venture. Modified joint that? venture. Okay, okay. Right. I don't even know if a modified joint venture has ever been um, published, but that's what I call it—a modified joint venture. Okay, so that's another one. So um, another thing is is to use what I call a deferred down payment. So um, this is a structure of what would be called either a wraparound mortgage or a um, seller financing. So let's say a seller had let's just say it's a $200,000 house. And in order for you to qualify for the mortgage, the, it's an investment property. So the mortgage company is going to want to see you have $20,000 down. Let's say you don't have $20,000 down, but you want the property. So you 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 get the mortgage company to say, yes, I will give you $160,000, but you have to get the seller to say, I will hold a second payment on the property now granted this would have to there would have to be enough cash flow for the bank to make you this loan so this would be an investment property but the the bank would say okay i'll let the seller hold the second mortgage meaning you're going to make a payment to the bank and to the seller and they'll do that provided the cash flow is there in the property so when you're buying for cash flow this becomes easy that would be impossible a bank would never do it if it's a vacant house or vacant property right never do it so uh but that's Uh, using a deferred down payment through seller, the seller moves into what would be called a second mortgage position, not to be complex. But see, the reason I'm saying this is because there are so many people who believe I can't, I don't have any money, so I can't buy a piece of real estate. It's just not true. You can buy investment real estate. Um, Now, another thing is um, you can assume somebody's mortgage. Now, if they're a VA, it requires approval. You'll need a 650 credit score to approve their, you'll need, you'll need a job uh, at least 24 months or a business that's been in business 24 months. You need a 650 credit score, but you can assume their, their mortgage. Once again, let's say they, uh, there's, they have equity, but you can't pay them that equity, but they want out of the house. Give them a second mortgage. So assume their mortgage and then make a second payment to them Everybody wins. They sell the house they couldn't sell. You get the you get this property or house or investment property, what have you. Um, uh, another one is um, what's called subject to the mortgage. We have a property in uh, Woodbine, Georgia. The people were in foreclosure. I have a policy. If I'm going to invest money in a down payment, um, I get the best possible deal. They were. Six, five or six payments behind. So um, I think for, to, for us to get the property was somewhere in the area of 10 to 12,000 bucks. We, our attorney, put the deed in our company name, uh, BDM Properties of Florida. So that we took the property and we got the deed. The deed went in our name. We bought, we brought all the payments current. The mortgage is in still, still in their name. It's called taking the property subject to the mortgage. I have to caution you if you do that, you have to be willing to lose the money because the bank could foreclose every mortgage on the planet has what's called a due on sale clause the second that deed went into my company name the bank has the right to foreclose now will they they haven't yet it's been three four years but they could but they don't (laughs) typically they want their payments right uh, because they're not in the business of taking property. They're in the business of collecting those payments as long as we make the payments. But that's, um, that's a way to get property. And that is a last resort in my opinion, from the seller standpoint, because they can never get the property back even though the mortgage remains in their name. But if we didn't take that property in two months, they would have had a foreclosure on the record.
0: So right. they were
1: at their last, they were, so their credit stays intact. Um Then, um, tax deeds. Tax deeds are a way you can get property really cheap. Now, the laws are different in each state. I'll use Florida as an example. So, we've bought a lot of tax deeds. So, let's say a property is worth $100,000. It's got a first mortgage on it of $40,000. But for, for whatever reason, they didn't pay their taxes. Well, the county then has an auction for the taxes, whatever the taxes are due, plus penalties. When you go to the auction, you buy that property, you're the highest bidder on the taxes. So you've now paid a surplus. Um, That surplus is held. And so what ends up happening is in the state of Florida, the person whose property that was, they have two years of redemption. So they have two years to buy back that tax certificate at 10%. So you're guaranteed 10% return a year. But sure. you might take a control of a $100,000 property for nothing. But the county hands you the deed. And if in two years they do not redeem the tax certificate, you own the deed and the first mortgage goes away. So the bank is usually there standing in line right. to buy the tax deed. But they they often, there's so many, they don't get to all of them. It's, it's become, okay. it's easier today for the banks because it's all online. So they have people who sit there and will bid on them. But you can outbid the bank on their own property you could bid that up all the way to 40,000 because it doesn't matter for the people to get the certificate back they have to pay you all the money you paid plus 10% so you can that's how you get a property so if the bank was only owed 40,000 then you bid it to 41,000 you're above what the bank is willing to pay and but the value of the property is 100 grand and if worst case scenario the 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 person who owned the property comes back They have to pay you $4,000 a year. So they'd have to pay you that interest for two years. So you have really nothing to lose in a tax deed. Different different certificates, different states. Some states, the second you buy that, you own it. Now, tax deeds, don't want to get into technical stuff. If there's a city, state, or federal lien on the property, do not buy it. Those liens stay on the property. We had one, Matt, this is a good story. Yeah. Uh, we, we had a tax deed we bought. It was a, uh, I think it was a duplex might have been a triplex, bought a tax deed, got it cheap. About, I don't know, four weeks after we bought the deed, we got a bill from the county. They knocked the thing down, and they billed us for, for knocking it down. they had it on the schedule to knock it down because there were violations on the property. We bought the deed, but they weren't notifying us of the knockdown. It happened in this period of time. (laughs) So (laughs) I had to sell the land to pay the county what they knocked it down for. So once again, keep an eye on your properties if you buy tax deeds, because if they knock it down, you've got to pay for it. It was like 8,000 bucks and I sold it, ended up selling the land to pay the county and I made nothing. So I lost um, money on that tax deed. So people are like, have you ever lost money in real estate? Yes, I've lost
0: money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying about hard money loans, which I guess they still do that. And they are yep. people will loan you money to rehab a house. So, so, yeah, you know, you want to, like we talked about, you, you found this junky house that needs some fixing up, some value added. They'll let you borrow money to buy that house plus extra money to fix it up. And then at the end, you're going to pay them back Um, money plus the profit, but that's an actual, you know, they call those hard money loans, but it's basically you're borrowing the money plus the construction costs or building
1: costs, usually at a higher interest rate. Much higher. Yeah. In fact, um, from 03 through about 06, we did a lot of hard money. We were paying 21% and typically four or five points. So it's like, how much were you paying? I mean, but it didn't matter. We were turning so many. You're turning so many. And you're at making, that time, yeah. we were able to borrow 100% of the property value, 100% of the rehab. I yeah. had zero money in the property. Now, yeah. granted, people are saying, but I had to make payments. I was borrowing enough to cover the payments while we would rehab it for three months. I'd borrow enough to cover six months of payments. So I was paying this interest. I was paying them back with their own money. And then yeah. we'd sell the property and we and we were doing five or six at a time. Hard money you can get in trouble real quick, but it doesn't yeah. typically go against your own personal credit when you get to know some hard money lenders today hard money lenders are are typically in the eight to eleven percent with three or four points uh, yeah. meaning three or four percent you're going to pay up front of the loan so but hard money is an, another great um, great way um, I know we've covered a lot, but you know this is this, you know, the, the second pillar, the real estate pillar, many people won't enter the market. Now, this, I'm going to say this is the fourth way to get into real estate. If you have a little bit of money, invest in other people's deals. Yeah. Because then you can be passive. Yes. All of these other ways we are talking about me taking control of property. Right. It's, it's great to invest. But if you're going to invest with somebody else, that's called a joint venture. Well, one or, or if you're going to invest with somebody else that you don't know, they might be doing a syndication. Um, there are rules that comply, and as long as you're with a reputable syndicator, you might be able to make 15 to 20 percent on your money. They might, you know, in the deal agree to pay uh, seven, eight, nine or nine percent, and then when and you get a part of the appreciation. That's another way to get into real estate without much money. You can buy into big real estate that way. Right, right, bigger, bigger deals. Yeah. So. Um, you don't have to be all of these ways that I described before are like taking on a second business. So the real estate pillar is important, but it doesn't always require you to be in the real estate business. There are, there are ways. And so, and I know you've Matt, you've been, you know, you've been in the real estate business as a lender. I know. um, a, yeah, all the above,
0: right? Yeah. So I've I've done I've done the hard money lending. I've so I've actually loaned the money out. I actually borrowed the hard money lending because I was doing the, the construction. I've actually teamed up doing joint ventures with builders, use my balance sheet and their construction. I've done the opposite way where I did the work and I borrowed somebody else's money or joint ventures with them. So I've done all this. Um, then you go back to just going back to the business and and you know, I was just talking to one of my clients and they bought their building, which has two other tenants in it, right? So you so they use the business to generate the cash to have the down payment, but really it's going to be just like your triplex or duplex for personal residents. This is what they're doing for their real estate. It's two other tenants and them in a little uh, flex space, you know, little office up front warehouse in the back. And they own theirs. They bought all three of them and they got two other tenants in the other two. So, so there are ways to buy your property, I uh, had another cl- client bought property and then added a uh, storage facility on the back that he rents out. You know, you and I have talked about storage facilities. Uh, it's not an official storage facility, but you know, he built a little garage as let's call them in the back that he rents out to other business owners in the
1: area to store their stuff. Right. And so, why is that so important? If you're going to have a business, that's the first pillar. Yeah. And, and let's say you can, you you can have a facility with three or four other tenants the tenants pay off your building. So yeah. let's say you sell your business when you're in your 60s, but you keep the real estate. That's what you were talking right. about earlier off, yeah. offline. You keep the real estate. Now you've got something that got paid off and you own this four four businesses. You've sold your business and you own the real estate and you got four businesses. And they're one of which you know is really good because you sold them that business. And now you've got all this revenue. This is why the real estate pillar is, I think, um, a very strong pillar. The first one is yeah. probably the most yeah. important getting the business, but the real estate pillar is almost matching the first pillar in that it can create this income um, outside of your retirement funds. Uh, when when mm-hmm. it's time, when it's time to, you know, say, I, you know, I want to go play golf every day um, like you do now, but um, <laughs> maybe not quite that's different. Yeah, that's different. No, you're exactly right. So, so,
0: you, you know, we've talked about that before, a uh, restaurant owner, and he bought the, the, the three pieces of real estate turned out the real estate was worth more than the build and uh, then the restaurants. So yeah. right. Uh, just talking about one of my other guys, he owns a, a business with four pieces of four different offices, uh, sold that he kept the real estate and gets a, a rental check. And basically, he sold the business to pay off all the debt on the real estate. And to pay off some of his own bills and to buy a second home. So he pretty much spent the cash, but he lives off the real estate income from the four buildings where his previous office was, and they're renting it from him. Um, got the same thing with one of my dentists down in Louisiana. Uh, Dennis, he owned the office building. He sold the practice, but he, but he rented the office building, right? Eventually he sold that office building to the dentist that bought his practice, he bought another building with uh, four other tenants in it. You know, he, he moved up and now he's got four tenants in a medical building. These are all doctors' uh, offices, and he lives off the income from that and his portfolio that he sold the dental practice from. So it's a great pillar to have, and it'll continue to pay you cash flow uh, after you sell the business itself. And it'll continue to typically grow, and typically you can move up to other pieces of property. So again, no legal advice, just saying four pillars, something to think about. You should have a business, you should have some real estate, you should have some retirement plan, and you should have some other assets uh, that, that you'll use to buy other real estate or leverage to buy other real estate, your wealth accumulation stuff. So this was good stuff. I we
1: we This was really good. You had uh, maybe 15 ways we, we babbled about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, it does take money to buy yeah. uh, real property, real estate. It doesn't have to be your money. So- yeah, no. And that's, but also you challenge people to think outside the box,
0: right? You know, you've, you've got to, to think outside the box and, and, and there's always a way to get something done to, to buy uh, real estate. Um, that's really what this point was. So that's our four pillars. Uh, we're Matt and Dave at profitabilitymd.com. Uh, profitability MD is over on our YouTube channel. This is our podcast. We do our group of business coaching, which talks to you how to use your business to, to build wealth using the four pillars. Um, we have a little irresistible offer called a profit acceleration session where we can find any business owner, $50,000, $75,000, $100,000 in their business. Use that cash to start paying down your debt, start living a higher life, or start using it to buy real estate. Uh, Matt at ProfitMD.com or David at
1: Good stuff, man. This was uh, I enjoyed this. It was a good conversation. That was fun, Matt. Episode 162. We'll see you soon. See you.